Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen Poor Things, uh, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Tony McNamara, um, who previously wrote The Favourite, I think, oh, right. for Yorgos Lanthimos, and also um, Cruella. So it's his third Emma Stone film in a row. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and Yorgos th- Lanthimos is, you know, continuing to work with Emma Stone, and I think the next film he makes will also be with Emma Stone. So he's right. obviously found his muse. Um, we've seen a couple of Lanthimos films on the podcast, so The Favourite is one, and before that, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm. Um, I've also seen The Lobster. I have seen The Lobster. Which I, re- I think is my favourite of his films. Um, and Dogtooth was the one that really made his name. I think that was about his third film, and I still haven't seen that I one. I haven't seen that either. He's a filmmaker that I really like, and he has an incredible reputation. People love his movies. He's able to... I mean, he, he has the freedom somehow to, to create these um, very original, weird, quirky films with a you know very it's we were talking the other day uh, when we saw next goal wins about you know a taika waititi film and you can just tell and mm. i think there's the same thing going on with the august anthemos you feel it right mm. it's in the look and it's in the sensibilities um this is based uh on a 1992 scottish novel called poor things episodes from the early life of archibald McCandless, md scottish public health officer the film is about i mean the film is obviously slightly different from the novel so the film is about a woman, a young woman, played by Emma Stone, um, who is living in the house of uh, a mad scientist doctor type, a Frankenstein type, played by Willem Dafoe, uh, and behaves in extremely weird ways. We don't obviously understand what is going on at the beginning, but what we come to learn is that um, this doctor, scientist, found her dead after having committed suicide, having jumped off a bridge, dead and heavily pregnant, and rather than save her, thinking, if I save her, she'll continue to be miserable, this woman wanted to end her life, he takes the opportunity to perform a wild scientific experiment, remove the fetus, <laughs> remove the brain from the fetus, transplant it into the woman's head, so she is now her own daughter and her own mother at mm. the same time, both and neither. Mm. And she becomes this new woman, uh, Bella. Mm. I mean, I don't want to say too much more. Obviously, we'll get into spoiler territory. What happens is a kind of an adventure in which she grows up. Um, you know, a child is growing up in a grown woman's body and goes on adventures and particularly discovers sexuality mm. and discovers interplay between men and women in the world mm. um, and how it all kind of works. It's also, I should say, set in a kind of steampunk Victorian era. Mm. Um, as I understand it, the novel was set in a realistic Victorian era. So... There's a lot of heightening going on here. So there you go. We'll get into spoiler territory. What What was your experience of the film? How do you How do you find it? Uh, I I loved it. I, I I was immediately immersed in the world. I think it's important to say that the first images you see are images of her committing suicide. Yeah, like it's her on the bridge. That's the very London. opening. Yeah, it's like a cold open. I thought for me, at the end of it. I was surprised to to read now that it was 145 minutes long because, you know, it felt much faster uh, to me. And I was I was entranced both by the the depth or, you know, the complexity of the ideas. It is about, you know, a woman who is a new being combined of her mother and her daughter. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
uh, or the result of a mother and a daughter, uh, trying to find her own identity. And I think it's a combination of <clears throat> Frankenstein, but it's also, or the, to me, the strongest influence would seem to be a female, rather feminist, Candide, yeah, Voltaire's Candide. Except whereas what Candide suffers from is kind of excessive optimism, right? Here, the ruling idea is reason, yeah, and the limits of reason. So, you know, I think you might have over-focused on the sexuality, though that is a large part of it, right? Mm. She also learns morality and ethics and, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of, you know, why are those poor people down there? Why are those babies dying? And, you know, kind of, why don't we do something about it? I mean, the film raises all other kinds of questions as well as, yeah, a kind of uh, 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 a self-determination and sexual awakening. Mm. Um, I... This is, this is my least favourite Lanthimos film, definitely. Um, although there were lots of things that I liked, and it made me laugh a lot. It has lots of very good jokes, and it's not just jokes, but it's bits of performance. Mark Ruffalo plays this guy who uh, kind of happens upon her, sort of finds out who she is, this um, lawyer type who's bringing this, this contract, and he essentially steals her away to go on an adventure in um, Europe, and he goes from being incredibly self-confident and, you know, I believe I'm the best lover in the world and or very controlling. And when he starts losing her because she is this you know, uncageable free bird who doesn't obey any rules, um, his transformation into, you know, confused, uh, incredibly needy, you know, crying. And then it does a joke where it, it, it reenacts uh, Streetcar Named Desire with him on the ground going, Bella! Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I wasn't convinced by him at the start. I thought I, I didn't like the accent so much. I didn't like that. There's a certain, there's a, I don't know. I felt that there's a lispiness or something that he's doing with his voice. Well, I, I thought it was the worst English accent I've ever heard. Yeah, so right. I wasn't crazy about that. And then he won me over. Yeah, exactly the same. Right, he mm -hmm. won me over. I liked the character more and more. I mean, unlike the guy, but I liked his performance of this character I like the seediness and the nastiness mm. and that he becomes so pathetic and such a joke Mark Ruffalo does end up carrying that off very well mm. I think um, so there are lots of things that I like what I what I didn't like was the yeah and you'll say maybe I am over focusing on the sexuality but let's talk about it for a minute because it is important to the film and it's a huge part I didn't like the idea that that the film is essentially suggesting when she um goes to a brothel and becomes a prostitute. She sees it as this incredibly practical thing of, I like sex, she's having been discovering sex. Um, I like sex, and I'm in need of funds, and I will do this. So, you know, it, it, it kind of, it removes um, so much, it, it removes all the, um, what it essentially says, you're living in a man's world, and, and this is an incredibly practical way of, of turning that into business. Mm. And... I don't know if it thinks it sees that as empowerment. I really don't. And I also don't like the, the idea that, that were she to, you know, in you know, Victorian Paris, where she is at the time, uh, Victorian obviously being British, but um, in Victorian era Paris, um, were she to, you know, become a prostitute at a brothel, that she would have agency and freedom, which she certainly appears to. Like the idea, you know, there's no suggestion. I mean, she's in prison when she's at the... 
home where she begins her life with the scientists and they try to you know effectively legally imprison her with that contract later on in the film when her uh, her mother's i guess husband you know finds her he attempts to imprison her those are prisons the brothel somehow isn't i don't buy that no well i well i, th- I don't agree with your reading of that mm-hmm. you know because i think it begins with her finding a very rational way of uh getting funds um when she needs them Though, interestingly, you're later told that she doesn't really need them. She's just kind of following on the adventure. Mm. So initially she doesn't need it. She's following on an adventure. Then subsequently she needs it. Uh, and it's kind of thinking everything through very logically. But then she begins to be aware. And the film dramatizes her growing awareness of her lack of agency. Yeah, kind of. And there's all these discussions. Why do the men choose and not the women, Right. And then there's a line later on where she says something that it had made her dead or something. So um, I don't think the film minimizes the um, results of that kind of life uh, or the potential results of that kind of life. But I think also there is a kind of a liberal um, uh, moralization around sex work. Uh, And it seems to me that you know, the film does have that logic. There is that logic. And which is not to say that it also isn't kind of uh, very exploitative and damaging. Um, but I think the film dramatizes that well, you know. Mm. And and incorporates all the criticisms. I noted, you know, that uh, this aspect of her being in the brothel which I think is one of the most daring aspects of the film, is also the one that's been most criticised. I've not seen it. I mean, I didn't know what happens in the film. I've not seen any... I was just reading through the Wikipedia page before we talked. Oh, sure, right. Um, well, I mean, I can understand that, and I can I can imagine people being uh, just uncomfortable with the level of nudity and, and, and the, the freedom and... with which it shows sex and that sort of thing. But um, And I have a problem with any of that, and I think that is that somebody is, a, is really bold and very funny, and it's... It's valuable. I mean, it's it's part of the film. It's worth seeing it. It's part of this character. Like the film is not the same if you don't see all this. It's incredibly courageous of Emma Stone. I mean, I think it's one of the most daring performances I've ever seen, and that really does revolve around the sexuality. I can't think of a major star, uh, and she is one. Uh, you know, where she's you know nude, fully frontal, uh, in so many different scenes in the film. Uh, and it's not just the nudity, but also, you know, the, the, the sexual dimension to it. Yeah, the sex acts that are involved in the depicting of that sexuality. Mm-hmm. So to um, go there, to go into those areas, I thought, you know, kind of quite extraordinary. Um, and of course, it's, it's rendered uh, palatable through tone. Yeah, because throughout all of these sequences the film maintains a kind of a comic tone. Yeah, I mean, it's very, uh, this is very Yorgos Lanthimos. He's kind of, he plays things, or he plays, you know, he, he plays his scenes with kind of deadpanness throughout mm. that gives everything, you know, uh, a comic remove, mm. you know. Um, if these things were played in earnest, they wouldn't be the same. And it's, I, I mean, sometimes it really works for me and sometimes it doesn't. And early on, I was finding some of it, not working that well and also it's it's also in the the way the dialogue is written you know um, again this is something reasonably common to to his films although i think again it's extremely heightened here the way that people speak in um 
unusual kind of, and I'm not talking about like unusual like Mark Ruffalo with an accent, but you know, it's the dialogue, right? Mm. It's 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 the particular words that are used, and it's contextualized. You know, certainly with the M Stone character, it's contextualized because she is she starts off as an infant. Mm. I mean, you, you, this it her her progression to sexuality. It was initially very uncomfortable because, you know, although she's Emma Stone, she's 34 or whatever, she, she you know, her mind is um, that of a child. And yet she's, you know, discovering masturbation, discovering sexuality. And then you've got this thing about the assistant character um, having feelings for her and wanting to marry her. And he's one who knows exactly what she is. And so it's kind of uncomfortable. But once she's going off with guys who have no idea she's she's weird as far as they're concerned but they've no idea you know this 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 she's, childhood she's, brain in her um, she's yeah. weird because they can't conceive of female sexuality independent from them right because so all i mean what's so interesting about the film is you know that it takes kind of female sexuality and female agency as a given and then kind of depicts it to the shock of men, right? So her pleasuring herself, the thing with the the cucumber, right? When she's meant to be very young. Yeah, yeah her delight at kind of, you know, what she's feeling. Uh, her wanting more. I mean, all of these things are things that kind of women are not supposed to want. And certainly these men find it kind of both, you know, delicious and distressing. <laughs> so yeah, well, uh, it initially serves their their in- interests, yeah, and then becomes out of hand when they can't control her, and and when she goes off with other men in particular, and that's particularly what drives Mark Ruffalo absolutely insane. Mm. Um, and also when she, uh, you know, quote unquote, reunites with her husband at the end, that's something that he is taken aback by, and it's it's delivered by uh, Bella. The, the news that she has been a whore mm. and that's just it is delivered in a matter of fact deadpan way that's the way her character sees it mm. and it takes him by surprise and the you know, joke comes out of that it always works that way mm. right there's always a manner of delivery that, that makes a joke out of it mm. i mean you know i i think it's quite an amazing film uh in going into all of the areas that are really still taboo all of the men in her life are all wanting to cater in one way or another. As you said, you know, the 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 Godwin character, the god, the Willem Dafoe uh, scientist, uh, doesn't want her to leave her ha- the house, just the same way that the abusive husband at the end doesn't want her to leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the nicest one is the medical student, right? The assistant. Yeah. But there's a way in which that kind of love is also its own kind of form of control, which is why it's so interesting that she decides to to leave uh but it the, is crucial i think that when you know on their wedding day she jilts him at the altar effectively yes and he has no problem with it he's he's not a you know, any other guy with well, mark ruffalo character would have fought no this isn't happening but he is like he understands and he's not going to fight her and him yeah and this and there's, there's also a line which is a slightly out of place, maybe, but a line about um, you know what you do is with your body, that sort of thing. Yeah. When he's, she's asking, "Aren't you jealous of all the men I've slept with, or whatever mm. it is?" You know what you do is your body. Um, yeah. So he's very enlightened for his time. Yes. Um, and then there's the Mark Ruffalo character who basically, you know, his idea is to be with her for a few months, use her up, and then dump her. He says that, mm. right? Uh, so, and of course, because. She behaves so innocently in such a pleasurable way. He completely falls in love with her. 
and the response to him falling in love with her is to attempt to cage her. He literally kidnaps her and puts her in a boat where she's got no way out, mm. right? So, and then that's repeated again, you know, by uh, the guy who ends up being her husband in her former body, right? In her former identity, uh, who also uh, locks her up in his house, right? So kind of, you know, the film weaves through these different strands of, you know, male domination and control and how they respond to a woman who's in the process of uh, self-creation, yeah, of self-development and self-creation. Uh, and none of them like it. And, you know, well, they're all entranced by it, but on the one hand, but they also want to control it, limit it, tame it uh, on the other. And I think the film, you know, dramatizes that so incredibly well. Mm. The, the Mark Ruffalo line you mentioned, this is a minor thing, um, where you say he, he says um, quite explicitly that he wants to use her up for a few months, then dump her. Does he say... That's something that she says, I remember. No, no. I, he says, originally, you know, I wanted to, you to come with me for three months and then kind of I get tired of you and send you home. So, you know, I'm sure... I'm so not... when he's expressing his love for her, having fallen in love, he says, this was what I wanted to do originally. I think after the first time that she goes off on her own in Lisbon and she comes back, right. that's when they have that bit of dialogue in the bed. Okay, I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong or lying or anything. I, I don't remember that line in specific, but you know, that would be because that would play against. She says the same thing to him later, which I do remember, where um, which you know, enrages him and makes him more jealous and so on and so forth. When they're on the boat, um, she says she reveals that she's engaged, which mm. he, she hasn't done up until this point, and it's to her, it's no revelation. Nothing is you know unusual or. Or, or, or meaningful to her in that way. Again, she sees it very practically. I'm engaged to this guy, but I wanted to go off and have sex with you for a long time first, and mm. then I'll go back to him. And it's it's the same thing, right? I was, you know, I had a purpose going off with you, and that purpose has been served. Yeah. Yes. And so it's the same idea, basically, um, except except when well, it's done to him. He no, except that there's a big difference because, you know, she's going with him. To an adventure and you know to see what happens right like and to learn and to grow and whatever he is very cynical about it yeah in the sense that you know he sees her as, as an innocent that he she, he could exploit sexually uh and yes, you know so i think but the idea of you, the idea of using one for sex that is that is that is the same the purposes are different but the idea of i will go off with you because i want to fuck you for a while that's the same well, except that's not her idea. I mean, she's not saying, I want to go off with you to fuck you for a while. She's going, she says that. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I'd be very surprised if those were her words. Her words are about growth and development and adventure, you know, uh, and about wanting to jump, whatever her expression is. Yeah. Jump on him or whatever. Uh, furious jumping. Furious I mean, that's jumping. what I was saying about the, the dialogue is something that I really didn't, I didn't, you know, go with that. Oh, I liked it. Uh, you know, it makes sense with her. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I think, so, so I don't agree with that homology. With, you know, I don't think they had the same designs. I don't think she's cynical at all. And I do think that, you know, kind of the idea of an adventure and of growth and of doing something before she returns home uh, and finding out what life is, because she's, you know, she feels she's been locked up all her life, is very different than this roué you know, who who uh, goes where he's forbidden to go and basically kind of uh, uh, steals her away from her home. 
particularly in the context of Victorian, you know, morality, which, you know, we, we take as a given. So he's doing something very wrong uh, to her, uh, which she's not aware of. She, I don't think she's doing anything consciously to hurt him at all. Yeah, I don't know what I've done to upset you because I agree with all that. Okay. I'm, I'm just <laughs> then we're clear. I'm yeah. just I'm just saying that like yeah. the, the in narrow terms, one using the other for sex is they are both doing that. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. It's mm. basically what's happening there. You know, there are yeah, there's much more going on there. There are much fuller reasons behind it. They're not doing it for exactly the same reasons, but what they are doing. In a, in a very narrow sense, is the same, and that's what's being expressed in that line mm. of dialogue at that point. Um, uh, anyway, so and I like it, so I like it very much, really. Uh, and to me, it does have connections with Candide because you know he goes off on all these adventures, and really, what he ends up seeing is raping and pillaging and destruction, and you know, and he manages to kind of keep his um, uh, optimism, right. She's different. She goes upon these adventures and, you know, she, in a way, becomes human, right? But also see, like, because part of her characteristic is that she's bound by reason, right? And then, like, there's that whole discussion of, is it Emerson and the boat? Yeah, about kind of self-development and about, you know, human beings being kind of change and development and becoming... Uh, so I think that's kind of what she's experiencing and she's experiencing and or she, she changes from being something, somebody who's got kind of a scientific mind that kind of is based on reason to still having that as a foundation, you know, but also learning about emotion, really. Uh, the, you know, she remains immune to it to a large extent until the end, yeah, when... Um, there's a discussion with Godwin, yeah, in a sofa. I've missed you, mm. yeah, um, and it's kind of a still worded, kind of with a basis and reason, but you have a depth of feeling that's behind that as well. Um, yeah, she hates him for the way he's brought her into the world. Essentially, yes. she hates that she was lied to, and she hates that things were done to her. Yes, um, but she's also grateful for life. Yes. And she misses him. Yes. And it's I think it's a very nicely played scene and it is quite delicate, that, that confluence of different um, emotional sort of registers. It's lovely. I have several moments in the film that have to do not, not with nostalgia, but I suppose with a lifetime of film going that were like the, the, the filmmakers deploying and that were so impactful. The first is that camera move at the beginning onto Willem Dafoe's face. Yeah, uh, mm. I think it might be the first shot of him, but there is a kind of a sweeping camera move that just lands on his face, and you go, oh my God, it's kind of, it's Willem Dafoe as Frankenstein, or, yeah, with, you know, because his face is so familiar with those cheekbones and so on, but now, like, opened up and sewn together, and, like, yeah, with this kind of Frankenstein face, yeah? Mm. Uh, and I thought, wow. And the other bit was the Hannah Shigula moments in the boat, yeah, the... Uh, the woman who played the old lady, mm -hmm. yeah, and they have this sex about, and they have this conversation about, <laughs> do you have sex, and you know, do you masturbate, and and they have this conversation about life, and they become friends, and so on, and of course that is Hannah Shigula, yeah, kind of, you know, the great star of fast uh films of the seventies, you know, the marriage of Maria Brown and many others, and you know, and uh, she was a huge star. Uh, 
all over Europe with uh, making films with Vajda and with Godard and you know and many others. So her appearance here is kind of a star moment, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if you recognize her, if she's somebody who's meant something to you as a film goer, and she clearly has to me and you know I would say many film goers of my generation, all of a sudden. You know, that role is imbued with something other than just the role. Yeah? It becomes mm -hmm. a kind of a magic moment, really. And she's got this wonderful stillness. Yeah, this kind of soft, slow speaking voice. Yeah, and this beatific face. I mean, you know, the face has now kind of grown wider. But it has kind of like this peacefulness and knowledge and wisdom. You know, and it's kind of, she's used very effectively, I think. I think she's very well cast. And I think most of the film is very well cast. I think Willem Dafoe is beautifully cast. I mean, he's got the, exactly the right look for, he's for his role. Um, he he can be, you know, threatening. He can be theatrical. He can be caring. You see all this in him, and he's very, he's very capable of bringing these out. The one thing I don't like about his performance, similar um, to Mark Ruffalo, I think his accent's dreadful. And he's the one connection that the film has to, to the, the, the Scottish origins of its novel. Because um, you know, the, I believe it's set in Scotland, and the author's Scottish, and he is putting on a Scottish accent sometimes. Mm. I mean, it kind of comes and goes, and I do wish they'd rather. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm glad they cast William Defoe because he's so good. If they had found a Scottish actor who was very good and just cast him, that would be great. If you're going to cast someone who isn't capable of doing this accent, just drop it. Let him be William Defoe. Yeah. You know, it's 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 embarrassing and really. I mean, I must say, I felt different about both of them because. You know, when I first saw Willem Dafoe, and you recognize a kind of, I don't know, a, a Scottish or tilt or something. And you go, oh, okay, that's what he's doing. Um, and then I kind of didn't pay any attention. Whereas the Ruffalo, you just think, this is the worst English accent I've ever heard in my life. And it kind of takes you out of the film for a while. It's actually. quite reminiscent of Keanu Reeves's, all those years ago, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's well, a bloody disgrace, and all this kind of stuff. But... It, but it did win me round eventually. William Defoe's never won me round though. And the, the problem with his is that it comes and goes. When it returns a bit Scottish, you know, there's a Scottish vowel in there. All of a sudden you go, oh yeah, he's trying to be Scottish. Mm. When he's not, and he, he just sounds like William Defoe, it's fine. Mm. Just, you know, I wish he hadn't tried to hit those vowels huh. <laughs> every five syllables. We haven't talked about the film's look, and that is perhaps arguably the most distinctive thing about it. Mm. Again, this is very Yorgos Lanthimos, mm. particularly uh, in use of fisheye lenses. Mm. Um, he uses extremely wide angles and, and low angles. I mean, there's, uh, the dance scene in this um, immediately reminds you of the one from The Favourite, yes. shot in the same way. Not only the angles and the, and the, the lenses, but also the, the actors coming towards the camera, you know, which mm. they have in a couple of shots here, they happen in a couple of shots there, and um, um, you think like, I mean, I'm not saying it's like, he's just self-plagiarising or whatever, but it's just, you go, oh yeah, this is this man's aesthetic, mm. you know. I love the whole design of the film. Yeah, it has a very particular kind of Art Nouveau-ish uh, look, yeah, with buildings that are both curved and angular, right? And actually, it doesn't seem to make any difference whether they're in Lisbon or London or anywhere else they've been. That kind of look of the buildings uh, is uh, very similar. I love well, the... Although there are, you do get differentiation, certainly. Okay, I mean, you, you can... get... You yeah. get slight differentiations, but the film has a unified look. Actually, the interior of the ship, yeah, kind of the beds and, you know, the round portholes, but the curves and doesn't look that different than the London house. Yeah. No, no, I, I'm uh, with you, but I'm, thinking I'm particularly like the outside of Lisbon, 
you know, it's, it looks very different from the outside of Alexandria. It looks very different from the outside of London. Sure, Those things, be, yeah. and you have these wonderful CG painted in backgrounds that are full of life and and, and imagination, which oh, wow. really reminds me of Terry Gilliam, actually. Ah, that's interesting. Yes, I can see the connection. Mm. Anyway, it looks beautiful, mm. uh, and uh, it's very, very, very distinctive. Yeah, and and very expressive actually, and I I noted you know because I'm not usually one to stay until the final credits, uh, just because I mean I used to be, but then you think you know there's IMDb or like you know if you <laughs> want to find out who did what you don't have to sit through ten minutes, mm. um, so uh, and I kind of resent being forced to you know sit through third assistant driver kind of credits. Um, so, so, but this one, I stayed all the way because the images were so captivating. Yeah. So yeah. the credits in this, we should say, are, um, they're rather than scrolling up the screen, white on black, as is typical, they are, um, white, uh, cards on images of mm. you know, white text on images, um, of, well, it's the house, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but that's it all the way through the credits. It never turns into black. It's that's all the way through. Yeah, you get one image after another after another, mm -hmm. and actually, it's almost like your eye has to find a way into them, you know, because there were many of them. You think, oh, what is this, right? Yeah. Um, well, they really bookend the film because the film opens. So we've, we've had the opening where we've seen her commit suicide, and then we get the credits. I think that's the way around it works. Mm -hmm. And the opening credits are um, similar imagery, so it's like one shot after another. They, you know, the, the cutting between them. But they are they like quilted pillows, right, or blankets, you know. And the stitching creates images of like you know, someone riding a mermaid or whatever it might be. Um, but it's they're completely white, right? The stitching is white, the blankets are white, and it's mm. just completely devoid of color. And then we go to a whole segment of the film that's in black and white. Mm. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons that you get the opening shots in color is to convince the audience that the whole film isn't going to be in black and white, yes, <laughs> so yes. they won't get annoyed and leave. Yes. But the end credits, full color. Mm. All those images mm. and more textured as well. You know, those images at the start were just these smooth, apart from the quilting, essentially smooth sheets. And at the end, it's, you know, we've got sculpture, we've got thick paint, we've got architecture, really, I think, like foliage and things. Mm. Like, so basically, it's like you've, you've sat through a film in which life is brought to this world by this character, really. Mm. Let's talk a little bit also about that world because it's so fascinating, it's so detailed. Uh, and um, inventive, you know. So I, I, I noticed when they drive out in the car, you know, that you have all these late century, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century cars, yeah, with the steam, yeah, like it was kind of all very steampunky. Mm. But then uh, Godwin's car uh, has, sorry, yeah, they're all carriages, but then Godwin has a car but just the head of a, of a horse stuck to the front, yeah? Oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't remember. Yeah, well, I'm just, you know, you probably wouldn't. So I, the point I'm trying to make is that the film is so detailed, yeah, mm. that it offers all these kind of little pleasures. I mean, the more obvious ones are obviously like, I don't know, a dog, you know, with the body of a goose or, you know, yeah, those combinations that you get throughout the house that are kind of a pleasure to see in, in motion as well, right? Because mm. you think of all the effort that must have gone into animating <laughs> kind of all of that. Uh, but, you know, the, the other details are there as well, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, you know, so I think it's a film to, to re-watch. It'll offer many pleasures in doing so.
and they're not just you know frivolous little details that you know just give you the sense of the the, the scientists mad mm. uh, uh, experiments but they also give you the final punishment at the end of the film so this thing about empathy which uh, uh, empathy and morality which uh, Bella discovers throughout the film she's she it's crucial that she discovers when she is reunited with her former husband, quote unquote, uh, she discovers that she, or really her mother, mm. was not a very nice person. Um, so he's a, a general, I think, or an mm-hmm. admiral, something along those lines. He's, you know, he's covered a general, in, yeah. He's a general. Covered in medals, huge house, staff, and he's incredibly cruel to them. I mean, when we get to the house, uh, he draws a gun and says I'm protecting myself because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a staff uprising soon because they all hate me. And like mm-hmm. every time he speaks to the staff, he's pointing a gun at them. Uh, so we discover that you know, she wasn't very nice either. I mean, we essentially get that from the from the non-answers from the maid. You know, she's saying, "What was I like? Who was I?" And she won't say anything. It's like you, 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 know, you, you were a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but she's been learning. You know, she wants to be nice and, and things are nice, and she likes pleasure she you know the thing with sex and why why doesn't everyone do this every single day all the time you know why wouldn't people just give themselves all this pleasure and then she discovers as you mentioned earlier um the um or she's shown rather by mm. a cynic as he's introduced to us in the film um he shows her uh the slum dead people people who have no money and he says if we go down there they'll just rob us and kill us and rape us um and she's you know distraught by the, the this side of world the world that she hasn't seen but she's resolved yeah. to make it better you know i want to be in the world i want to make it better it's a really kind of nice thing to, to it's a really nice character characteristic to have and it's really nice to see that of her and i think that's why when you get to the very end of the film and she has managed to free herself from this former abusive husband who she doesn't know um they have done surgery to replace his brain with the brain of a goat mm. that's what she writes at the end because the it's it's kind of cruel <laughs> i mean they killed the guy but what it would have been extra cruel would have been to put his brain in the goat's body and make him <laughs> a, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that would have been like fucking terrifying and they yes. didn't do that right they just, so his body's just going around but it's not him anymore so like it's 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 a revenge but not one that is as mean as it could have been mm. like that's kind of important it's and, the, and the, that ending well, is the triumphant music at the end of that and like the kind of the way in which this house has become theirs because you know one of the first characters died he's he passed it on and everything um and they've and they've had the success and like made the life their own and she also got her friend from the brothel who you know she wants to be a socialist with although that's an area which i'm not sure the film really carries off quite so well um but it's it's a very it's I a like it's a happy that. ending yeah um it's a happy ending that belies quite atrocious actions because that's what all they do kill the husband, mm. right? And I'm the motivation for keeping him in a goat's brain, keeping his body in the goat's brain, mm. is to me not as kind as you make it out to be. Because I mean, basically, they have to keep him alive or you know be accountable for his death right so keeping him alive or keeping him seemingly alive means that he's dead so he won't get revenge but actually to you know the world at large he is still alive yeah 
Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I, I don't, well, I, if I hope I didn't say it was nice. It's just not as cruel as it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the last thing I want to comment on is again just returning to this because I believe the film was shot in thirty-five millimeter in a process called ectachrome, yeah, which was discontinued for many years, and um, this is one of the first films, feature-length films, that has been shot in the process since. Uh, and I looked it up a bit because the film has such an unusual and beautiful use of color. Mm. Yeah, it kind of, it really stood out for me. And so, you know, when I got home, I thought, you know, I wonder what, I wonder how this was shot, right? Uh, and so I just want to signal both that it is very beautiful and that it is the result of this return of uh, ectochrome 35 millimeter film, which the uh, poor things were shot on. So, yeah, so ectochrome, I don't know very much about um, if it has any relationship to the likes of Technicolor and things. I, I, basically, I don't know how old the process is, but there was a shot. I, I think it's when you return to the imagery of uh, Bella, or as, as her mother, throwing herself off the bridge. Mm. Um, there's a return to that imagery at some point in the film. And there's a shot of her face and the blue sky in the background. Mm. And... And it and it's the quality of the film and it's the quality of the colours, you know, her, the red of her lips, the blue of the sky, really made me think of like Meet Me in Saint Louis. Do you know what I mean? It had yeah, it had those it had those qualities of mm. of of that of that era. And it, and it's the only shot in the film that made me think that. But I found that incredibly striking just for a shot. Yeah. No, I thought. I mean, for me, actually, they looked uh, a little bit like the Powell and Pressburger. Kind of color films of the nineteen forties, like mm. uh, um, the Red Shoes and Black Narcissus, because it's it's Technicolor, but it's a bit more muted than kind of what you get in like Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, so so you know yeah it has. Well, that's probably why that's the only shot that made me think of that. Yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so I really loved it. It really stands out, and it kind of you know helps. Helps in the creation of this imaginary world where kind of you know things are so strange, but you adapt to that kind of strangeness to this world that's being built for you really quite quickly. I think it's kind of one of the major successes of the film for me. Hmm. So it's an interesting film to think about and to talk about. I know we enjoyed the conversation. I I do think I have not resolved the issue that I have with its. Use of the brothel, sexuality, the way in which it does seem to say, you know, this is a man's world, and the only thing, the only success you can really have in this man's world is to use the men, you know, and and, and exploit yourself for business. Uh, I never get the sense that she's using them. I mean, I think that's kind of, for me, one of the film's achievements, really. You know, she's, some of the she's going she... with them. She doesn't have an idea. She, you know, by using it means, okay, I want this, and I'm going to go with this guy to get that. You never have a feeling that she's got an end goal. I mean, she's going with them to have an experience of seeing what going with them will be like. You know, but she's not out to use them in the way that they are to use her, where they're saying... I'm going to take her with me and I'm going to do this to her. <laughs> yes, fair. Yeah. I meant more specifically the men who visit the brothel. 
Mm. You're right about the men with whom she travels and stuff. Well, I think the brothel scene for me is... Because some of that sex is close to rape, some of it. And she has this line about but that's, how harsh it was, but it was kind of pleasurable in a way. And and and, well, and again, for her, it's an, it's an, it's a learning experience. That for me is the greatness of the film, right? That it does it both acknowledges, you know, that sex and brothels can be brutal and exploitative. They tell you very clearly that her pleasure is never a consideration for these men, hmm. right? Uh, and also, I find it very honest, you know, to think that kind of brutalizing sex can be a thrill. Yeah. yeah. Because it clearly is to some people, right? Like, you know. So so the fact that it acknowledges all of those things is part of what makes the film so daring, yeah, and so complex, right? Yes, I understand that, and I agree with that in part, but I also think that it the film doesn't at any point um, suggest that... It's like what I said at the start, right? She, you know, in the brothel, she is essentially free, right? But she's not. I mean, and actually, this is where the madam comes in, you know, which who gives her an illusion of freedom, who offers her chocolate, but before you know it, she's drawing kind of blood from your earlobes, right? And she is, yeah. And and at one point, she says, "This is how you control." She too is a controlling, mm. yeah, like the men. Right, she says, you know, you offer us croissant and chocolate only to control to control us. Yeah, she can leave that brothel at any point. Um, and I don't think that's well. She can, true. and eventually she does. Exactly. Right, but until you know she finds a reason to leave, then she doesn't. I mean, I don't have any problem with that. I do think that that is the you know that is the most challenging section of the film. I think it's one of the, it's the one that audiences will find most uncomfortable, and I think because of all of that, it's also one of the reasons why the film is so great. Yeah, that it will make people uncomfortable and think about all of these things uh, that are kind of um, almost revolting, really, or you know that people are so moralistic about you know that they don't think about you know both ends. Yeah, it's always either or, you know. Um, so. And there's no question that kind of um, women have found um, a way out uh, through prostitution. There's also no question that that way out is extremely kind of dangerous and might be a trap of its own. I think you get all of that in the film, you know. Mm. Um, so, whereas I think, you know, in other types of discourse, you have, you know, people saying, oh, this is just work like any other sex work. It's work like that. Well, it's not, clearly, right? Uh, but also, is it just, you know, patriarchal domination and control, right? Uh, so I think the film raises those questions. The answers, uh, yeah, or the, not the answers, but there will clearly be a lot of debate around it. And I think part of the reason why the film to me is so great is that for people who watch it, you know, it'll be the, it'll it, it'll ignite a, a a discussion on all of these issues, and I bet you there'll be countless articles written, you know, particularly by feminists on the film. Really, I I think having thought about it while you were speaking, I I think the part of the reason I have an issue with the brothel stuff is is that idea that everything for Bella is a learning experience. Um, because when you see some of the behaviour that the men um, show towards her, I'm thinking particularly of the of the huge bloke 
who just kind of bends her over by the wall and just spreads mm. her legs. And there's no dialogue, no talking. He's just positioning this, mm. you know, sex doll effectively the way he wants. And I think that's the one after which she says, "Yeah, that was unbelievably rough, but like, you know, there's something pleasurable about it." Um, like that's something that because it's everything's a learning experience for her. She doesn't mind it. She's learning. Well, from it. No. and I and I think that's that characteristic of her, which is her kind of central mm. characteristic in the way she behaves. And everything and one of the it, it's just the design of the character. She's logical. She's logical, and she doesn't take offense to things and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I think I think a uh, a quote unquote normal woman, one who is not like her in, in its kind of quirky way. Um, would have issue with the way that she's treated that she doesn't. I think that's a, that's kind of a problem because well, essentially it essentially means that she's able to divorce the idea that she's being mistreated from her experience. Well, like no, I don't think so. I mean, I, and I think the film is very good at dealing with all of that. I mean, you know, when you uh, um, you know when you read about kind of process experience, there is you know they often talk about disconnecting, right? Like you know, uh, and so on, because it is unpleasant. And, and, and the film doesn't deny that it is unpleasant, right? Or that it is exploitative, or in fact that she has no choice in who she's with, mm-hmm. right? Kind of all of those things, I think, are played out in the film. They're dramatized, right? Uh, but I think what the film does is also to take on board contradiction, that it might be both, you know, brutal and exploitative, and, you know, that there's some pleasure that could be found in that for some people. Mm. Okay, let's let's not um, continue to litigate that one. I think we've, we've yeah. said everything we want to say. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and, over- and, and it'll be endlessly debated, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, so. Well, who fuck cares what other people have to say? <laughs> <laughs> so your um, your overall thoughts? You know, it's my new favorite film. I kind of I loved it. Uh, I think the discussion we've had is has is proof of that. It's a, you know it's been really interesting to talk about. You know, I think uh, there'll be a lot more to talk about, you know, in in further viewings um, and certainly kind of, you know, uh, in terms of what other people say. So I highly recommend it. And I think particularly if you're interested in the film, you know, see it on a big screen whilst you can, because you will be reading about it for a much longer time than it will be available to see on a big screen. No, it, it, it makes a big difference to see it on a big screen. Yes. Yeah. You should see it on a big screen and you should see it. And, you know, despite my issues with it, I, there's also a hell of a lot that I liked. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you all very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>